continuing the series on um, the makeup of man, uh, man, the creation of God. And we have seen, obviously, that we are created in the image of God. We wanted to understand just uh, what man, um, how we are created by God. In other words, uh, what makes up this creation called man, so that we can understand how to function as God has intended us to function. And, uh, you know, even as we study anatomy and uh, doctors have looked at uh, the, the anatomy of the body and understand what the heart does and what the brain does and what the kidneys do. Um, and so we're able to obviously look after those aspects of our bodies and, and uh, make sure that they function properly. Well, in the same manner, we also have um, an inward man for the Bible teaches us that we have an outward man and an inward man. Our outward man is our bodies. And the inward man, we said, is made up of our will, our spirits, our soul, and our conscience. And so we want to understand how each one of those parts of our inward man um, function, what roles they play in our, in our makeup, so that we can understand exactly just how to operate um, in this life as God intended us to operate. And so we're dealing with this section, um, a series on the will of man, for it is one of the parts of the inward uh, man that uh, who we are. And uh, today's teaching, we really want to touch on the fact that our wills can be influenced. And there's uh, two aspects we want to look at. Um, the fact that God can and does influence our wills, and also the fact that um, our spirits and our flesh also can and do influence our wills. And so we've seen up to now that uh, mankind has been given a free will by God. Um, and in the previous teaching we saw that um, when Adam and Eve sinned, that they basically, uh, as an act of their free will, rebelled against God. It was a decision they made, a conscious decision. Um, Adam wasn't deceived, we saw Eve was deceived, but even though Eve was deceived, she still made that conscious decision to rebel against the Word of God and uh, thus commit sin. And so we also had a look at the fact that man is uh, a spirit, he has a soul and he lives inside a body. We saw that there is such a thing as the conscience of man, we had a look at scripture along that line. Um, and we had a look at the incident where our Lord uh, dealt with those um, men that accused that woman of committing adultery. And uh, our Lord dealt with them by allowing their conscience to influence their decision. Um, and the scripture says in John 8, 9, Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And so we saw that even unbelievers have a conscience. All of these parts of man, we've said, uh, the will of man, the conscience, the spirit, and the soul um, is how man is created. So whether it be a believer or an unbeliever, all of us have exactly the same uh, inward parts to our inward man. And uh, the conscience is a part of, of the inward man. Then we saw, obviously, that um, a very integral part of man, the inward man, is his will. And we had a look at um, our Lord Jesus when he went to the cross um, and he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and his prayer in Luke 22, 42 says, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
And so God gives to each one of his creations a free will. And mankind is no different. We all receive a free will from God. We decide uh, what we're going to do. And in this case, Jesus decided in the Garden of Gethsemane to submit his will to the will of God the Father. And then we had a look at in um, Galatians, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul uh, admonishes <coughs> the church to walk in the Spirit and not to walk in the flesh. And so we saw that it is, although the Spirit of man is born again, and the Spirit of man wants to do that which is pleasing to God, um, the Spirit of man does not dictate to the born again believer what path they're going to walk on. It is still the will of man that dictates to the believer what path they will walk on. And that is why in Galatians 5.16 it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And um, this is not a teaching on the, the flesh of, of man um, and the Spirit of man, but this particular passage just highlights the fact for us, and if you study the book of Romans, you will see that uh, Paul brings out this truth in a greater depth, is that the born-again believer is born on the inside. We are born again in our spirits. And once we're born again in our spirits, our spirits only desire to please God. They cannot sin, John said. And so the spirit of man, the born-again believer, not the unbeliever, because they, they, they are spiritually dead, and so their spirits will obviously always side in with their flesh. But with regards to the born-again believer, their spirits now side in with their conscience wanting to serve God. However, the flesh of, of, of the born-again believer is still sinful in its nature, because these bodies we've inherited from Adam. Um, the Bible teaches us that from one blood, God made every nation under the, on the earth. And so it's from the blood of Adam that every single physical body is descended from. And so when Adam committed sin, the sin virus entered into his body and into his bloodstream, and that was passed on from generation to generation to where we are today. And so you look at the book of Romans, I think it's in chapter 6 uh, and 7 primarily that he deals with the subject. Um, our bodies are sinful in nature. So the, the flesh of man and the carnal mind makes up the flesh of man. The body and the carnal mind together make up the flesh of man. They, their desire is to be sinful and to disobey the laws of God. And again, the book of Romans says, For the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. And so the carnal mind is uh, the mind of um, the unbeliever. In fact, that's the mind of all um, baby Christians as well, because as we come into the kingdom of God, we don't get a brand new mind. The Bible teaches us in the book of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we need to renew our minds. And uh, that is what we do um, once we've come into the kingdom. Our spirits are born again, but our minds still have to be renewed. And so the unrenewed mind is in fact a carnal mind. It still thinks the same way as the world thinks. And so the carnal mind is against God. It doesn't want to follow after the things of God. So the flesh of man, which is these, these bodies, and the carnal mind will always want to go in the in direction of sin and be in opposition to God. However, the spirit of man wants to go <clears throat> in the direction of righteousness and wants to serve God. And what God does is he says, you guys need to make the choice. For he says in uh, verse 16, he says, 
I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, for against the flesh. Talking about the born-again human spirit. These are two diametrically opposed um, entities. The Spirit and the flesh are completely um, opposed to, to each other. And so it is as an act of our will that we as born-again believers decide which way are we going to walk? Are we going to walk in the spirit and follow after the leading of our spirits? Or are we going to walk in the flesh and follow after the desires of the flesh? Um, but the flesh would try and influence us to walk in that direction. And the spirit would try and influence us to walk in God's direction. But it is as an act of our will that we decide which direction we're going to walk in. And so the will of man reigns supreme in the makeup of man. Um, and we've said that God will never override the free will of man in this life. And we, we said previously that once we leave this life, that things change as far as the unbelievers are concerned. They're cast into hell against their will. They don't desire to go down there, but they no longer have a free choice. All of our free choice is given to us in this life. Um, and so when an unbeliever dies, they are cast into hell against their choice, and that is done by God. He's the one who casts into hell, as our Lord taught us. With regards to the believer, things uh, don't change. We still keep our free will. Um, once we leave this life to be with the Lord Jesus, our free will remains intact. Um, but our free will basically does fall into line because by that time, our minds have been renewed. The Bible teaches us that the perfect will have come as far as our thinking is concerned and so our minds and our spirits will no longer want to do um, sinful practices this flesh that this earthly tent this body that we dwell in now which is sinful it, we're obviously separated from that body when we leave this life to be with the lord jesus uh, and we will one day get our resurrected bodies where there will be no sin in them and so there's no more influence uh, of sin in the in the believer once they leave this life and so the will will always want to follow after the laws of God and not uh, be disobedient to God in any way. But uh, we also said, even though God has given to each one of us uh, as his creations a free will, that the will of God always prevails in the affairs of mankind, because otherwise God would be not God, because you know, God could, if God cannot... Um, work things together to, according to his will, well then chaos reigns. And we know that that's not the case. We know that God is a God of order and everything takes place in line with God's uh, ultimate purpose. His ultimate will and purpose is always worked out in the earth, in the affairs of, of mankind. Now, not his perfect will always, and we did differentiate uh, with that right up front. We said, as the example of salvation, it is God's perfect will that nobody goes to hell and everybody goes to heaven. Uh, and he's made provision for that. But most, or peop uh, most men choose rather to go to hell and not to go to heaven. And so God permits them to make that choice. He allows them to exercise their free will and go to hell. Um, but that wasn't his perfect will, but nevertheless, he allows that to happen. And so... God does allow within the individual's life their free will to reign supreme um, up until a point. Uh, and that point is that the individual, as long as that individual's free will is not going to 
impact negatively on the purposes of God being worked out, well then God will tolerate it to a degree. But eventually, um, you know, everybody dies, and so God puts an end to their rebelliousness through that aspect. And so let's have a look at um, Scripture along the line, because we do need to have an idea, an understanding. So how is it possible that God uh, allows mankind to have a free will, and yet God's purpose still is made um, manifest in the earth, in that God, what God has preordained to take place will always take place. God, man and Satan never thought, thought the, the perfect will of God, will not the, the, um, the will of God from being accomplished and performed in the earth. And the scripture we look at is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Scripture says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so here we get a bit of insight as to how it is that God is able to have his will reign, um, reign supreme in the earth and nevertheless allow mankind, each one of us individually, to have our own free will. Well, the way that he does that is that he works all things according to the purpose of his will. So how does he do that? Well, we, we saw earlier that God knows everything. And because God knows everything, God knows all the future, but there's also another aspect to that, and that is God knows everything about us. There's nothing about us that God does not know. And so God knows what motivates us, and he, thus, because He knows what motivates us, and I'm talking about the unbelievers and believers alike, He knows us intimately, and because He knows what motivates us, He knows what to do to influence our decisions that we will make. For our free will is, in fact, our deciding. We, what, what the decision we make is an act of our, of our will. We are deciding as an act of our free will to do this and not to do that. And so God allows that. God you know, never in this life overrides the free will of anyone. But what God knows about each one of us is what will influence us to make certain decisions. And so that's what God does behind the scenes. He orchestrates situations around us that influences us to make decisions that he wants us to make. And so he doesn't force us. God never downloads the latest app into his creation and now we are going to go in this direction because God is now determined that's what the way we will go. Not at all. God just knows how we're wired. He knows what, what influences us, as I've said. And so he then orchestrates things around us to influence our thinking so that we will then make a decision in line with what He actually does want us to do. And that's how God works all things together according to the counsel of His will. And so I'll just have a look at a, a, a quite a graphic scripture which gives us a bit of insight into what transpires, because I did mention it, this, this all takes place behind the scenes. Um, because remember, we're dealing with the fact that God influences our will. 
He does not dictate to us. He does not override our free decisions that we make, our, 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 our act of our free will. But nevertheless, God knows what button to push. It's not the right terminology, but it's just, just kind of graphic um, to get us to respond in a certain way. And so let's have a look at the scripture, and then uh, I'll comment on it. The scripture is in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, beginning at verse 18. Uh, the scripture says, Then uh, Micaiah said, and he's a, a, an Old Testament prophet, uh, said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and, on, and his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Then verse 20. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? Verse 21. So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. And so the context of what this passage uh, is dealing with here is that um, God is wanting Ahab, who was the king of Israel at that time, it was a time for Ahab to... His, Time had come to an end on, on the planet. God had uh, decided that his time here had expired. But God specifically wanted Ahab to be killed in Ramoth Gilead, for God had uh, other purposes in, in, being, in that actually taking place. And so here we see a behind-the-scenes uh, event taking place. God is, is speaking with his angels, and he's saying, guys, we need to get Ahab up to Ramoth Gilead so that he can die there. Um, so how are we going to do that? And so one angel comes up with one idea and another angel comes up with another idea. And then we see this one, one spirit, who is another angel, comes forward and stands before the Lord. And he says, I will persuade him. And the Lord said, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail, go out and do so. Now this spirit is referring to Satan. Satan is the father of lies. Uh, John 8, I think it is, tells us, um, gives us that input. Yeah, John 8, 44. Um, and so this is actually Satan. He comes and stands before the Lord and he says, I know how to do it. And God asks him, how are you going to do it? And he says, I'm going to go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets and God says yes you got it right um, he'll listen to you um, he'll, you'll prevail you'll, you'll be able to get him to do what I want him to do go out and do it and so when you go read the rest of this account in scripture what you see is the, the background on the earth now that's the background that was taking place in heaven so you kind of see how the two realms are interacting with each other um, really and it's the spiritual realm that is really ruling over the the natural realm because if you go now read the account the account goes on this wise that ahab king of israel was wanting to go and um uh he wanted to go and 
fighting against, I think, the, Assy the Assyrians or the, Phil the Philistines. I don't know. I forget which, which nation it was. But he wanted to go and, and make war with them. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, was with him at the time. And he said, will you join me? And so Jehoshaphat said, yes, that's fine. I'll join you. Um, and so Ahab has got all of these false prophets that he loves to listen to. And they are prophesying to him. And they're saying, go up and you're going to really destroy. I forget which nation it is. Um, and you know, God's with you and God's going to deliver them into your hand. And he's really enjoying this kind of stuff because these are his false prophets. He always carries them around with him. And they always prophesy good stuff to him because that's what he wants to hear. But Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah, and he's used to listening to the Lord's prophets. Now, I'm just giving you a paraphrase of actually what transpired. You can go read the account yourself. Um, and so he says to Ahab, because he recognizes that all these guys that are going shouting the odds are in fact false prophets. They're not the Lord's prophets at all. And so he says to Ahab, is there not a, a, a prophet of the Lord here that we can inquire by? Because that's what Jehoshaphat is used to, because he's going to one of the Lord's prophets. So Ahab he says, yes, there is. There's this guy called um, Micaiah. Mike, I don't know if I pronounced it right. Um, but I don't like him because he always prophesies bad things about me and evil things. And so Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat kind of rebukes him. He says, you, got, you can't say that about the Lord's prophets. So anyway, Ahab gets persuaded to now bring Micaiah. <laughs> I'm not too sure how to pronounce that name, to come and prophesy and give them the word of the Lord. Uh, the two kings, they're both sitting uh, on their thrones and they're wanting to have the Lord's counsel. So now the, the Lord's prophet comes. And prior to the Lord's prophet coming, the guy that, that well, one of the captains of the, of the guard gets sent to bring him, uh, he tries to prep the Lord's prophet by saying, now all the other prophets are saying good stuff to Ahab, they're saying go up and go and conquer this uh, land of the Philistines or whatever, and uh, you know, they really are encouraging the king in this, can't you just, you know, say the same thing, just don't rock the boat, you know, and so, I've got to get this right, Micaiah, Micaiah, I don't know, uh, got a weird name. Um, he says, I can, only, I can only speak as the Lord gives me to speak. I can't speak anything else because he's a prophet of the Lord. So he doesn't espouse and, and, and you know, proclaim false prophecy. So anyway, he comes before the king. And um, now King Ahab said, okay, what do you say? Should, should we go? And the prophet actually, um, we're not going to give you the full account, but the gist of it is, is that the prophet warns him not to go. He says that, he says, in a roundabout way, he says, Israel, if you guys go, you're going to be without a leader and you all will be scattered you know, to your own homes. Um, translated means Ahab is going to be killed there. Um, and see, Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, see, I told you, this guy's just going to tell me bad stuff. I don't, that's why I don't like to listen to him. Now, the other prophets who are all the false prophets, they come up and one of them actually uh, hits the, the Lord's prophet, I'm not going to get his name, Micaiah, 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 hits him and says, you know, how is it that you get to speak the word of the Lord, but we don't get to speak the word? You know, as false prophets do, they always claim to hear the word of the Lord. Um, and that's when the prophet now gives this discourse. He says, this is what I actually saw. And I saw that the Lord has sent a lion spirit into all of your prophets, and you're going to listen to them. And you're going to fall at Ramoth Gilead. Um, 
And that's exactly what transpires because Ahab prefers to listen to his prophets, his false prophets. He doesn't like to listen to the prophet of the Lord. So the Lord did not leave, leave himself without witness because he did prophesy to Ahab. If you go read the account, don't go up because you know, you're going to meet with disaster. But nevertheless, um, I know you're going to go. And so the Lord did know that. The Lord knew that about Ahab. The Lord knew that Ahab loved to listen to his false prophets. And so this is the way that the Lord used, the method the Lord used to influence Ahab to go up to Ramoth Gilead so he could fall there. And so we see a behind-the-scenes account of just how it is. And this is not the only way that our Lord influences the will of mankind in the earth, but it is one of the ways that God influences the will of men in the earth because He knows what motivates men. And because He knows that, He knows what button to push, for want of a better word, to get that person to make the decision that He actually ultimately wants him to make anyway. Um, so God didn't force Ahab to go up there. Ahab went up there of his own free will. He goes up there, by the way, they have the battle, and Ahab gets killed. And that's you know, the account. But God's will prevailed. But how did His will prevail? by overriding Ahab's will and forcing him up there? No, not at all. Um, he gave Ahab the free choice. Ahab could have said, okay, from this time I will listen to the Lord's prophet, I'm going to ignore you guys. Um, but God knew that he wouldn't do that. God knew he loved to listen to his prophets and ignore the Lord's prophet. And so that's what God did. He said, okay, I'm going to give you what you want to hear. And that is going to persuade you to go where I want you to go so that you can be killed in Ramoth Gilead. And so that is a very uh, graphic account to us of just one of the ways, this is not the only way, but this is one of the ways that God um, influences the will of men so that their free will still reigns supreme. God never over overrode um, Ahab's will. He chose of his own free will to go up there. But the purposes of God were worked out because God knows how to do that. And he can do that because God knows everything. Remember we said that right up front. And so that is how God influences um, the will of man so that his will prevails in the affairs of man. Now when it comes to born-again believers, um, God has an, another method to influence our will. Um, now there's obviously God works in, in, in that realm that is what we've just discussed now as well, but primarily the way that God influences the will of the, the born-again believer is that He influences us to be led by the Spirit of God who dwells within us. And so His, his, his uh, admonition to His saints is that we are to listen to the Spirit of God's guidance within our spirits. And then we can do what Jesus did and we can submit our will to the will of the Father and go ahead and do what the Father's will is that He, he declares to us. And so that's how God influences uh, the will of the born-again believer, is that He impresses upon our heart, our spirit, what it is that He wants us to do. And then it is up to the believer, because remember, our free will still reigns supreme. We can, once we know what God wants us to do on the inside, um, we can still make the choice, well, am I going to actually be obedient to that, or am I going to say, no, I don't want to do that. Remember, God said, I, will, I encourage you to walk in the Spirit and not walk in the flesh, in Galatians. 
And so it was as an act of our will, we decide we're going to walk in the spirit and not walk in the flesh. And so in exactly the same manner, God impresses upon our spirit because God always deals with the born again believer through their spirit. And so he impresses upon our spirit what his will is for our lives. And it is up to us then once we have kind of caught on to what God wants us to do on the inside to then be obedient to that or to be disobedient to that. And the scripture we can look at is in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, beginning at verse 14. Scripture says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so we as children of God are meant to be led by the Spirit of God. And the way that God does that is uh, revealed to us in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we're children of God. So that it's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. He bears witness with our spirits that we're born again, that we are children of God. But that's just one, one aspect of what the Holy Spirit bears witness in our spirits about. He also bears witness with our spirit as to what God's will is for us in various aspects in our lives, where God wants us to go, what um, job He wants us to take, what um, city He wants us to live in, things like that. God leads us by the leading of His Spirit in our spirit. And the way that that happens is that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits what His will is for our lives. We know that by looking to our spirit and applying Galatians 5 in that we walk in the spirit and we do not walk after the flesh. And by walking in the Spirit, we are then yielding to the will of God. And that's how God persuades believers to walk in His will. Now, there are the other, other ways as well, but this is the primary way that God uses for born-again believers um, to, to follow after His leading and His guidance. And then we, we have mentioned the scripture before, but I'll just uh, revisit it again because it, again, just a, a graphic account to us of how we are meant to be led by the Spirit of God. And that is in Acts chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. Scripture says, Now when they had gone through uh, Phrygia and the regions of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. And so they had the witness in their spirits, we can't go into Asia at this time, God doesn't want us to preach the gospel there right now. We can't go into Bithynia at this time, God doesn't want us to preach the gospel there right now. And we said, and uh, what happened is that um, the Apostle Paul gets, has a dream, and he sees a man from Macedonia in his dream saying, come over and help us. And so they concluded that God had then called them to Macedonia to preach the gospel there, which is what they did. They followed after the leading of the guidance of the Holy Spirit in that direction. But primarily they had the witness in their spirits, we can't go here and we can't go there. Now they didn't quite get the witness as to where God wanted them to go. And so God intervened by giving Paul a dream. And that in the dream, Paul then could discern where it is that the Lord actually did want them to go. But there's God influencing the will of, of men. Now, Paul and his team could have gone into Asia. God was not, um, you know, kind of 
saying, if you go there, I'm going to kill you. You're going to drop down dead. Not at all. God said, just don't go there. And so they didn't go there. But they didn't go there as an act of their will. God showed them what his will was. They submitted their will to his will. And so the purposes of God was being worked out in Paul and his ministry team's life, lives. And um, their free will was still reigning supreme as well. But their will was being lined up with God's will. And God knew that he could influence Paul and his team in this manner. Um, Ahab, he couldn't. The way that God had to influence Ahab was through his false prophets. And so that's what God used to influence Ahab. And so we see that God influences the free will of man so that his purposes can be accomplished in the earth. That's how God operates. Um, he gives us our free will. We exercise our free will. Um, he does not di dictate to us at all. Um, but what he knows is he knows what influences we will succumb to. In other words, what, um, what motivates us. And so he always then influences what motivates us to, to push us in the direction that he ultimately wants us to go in. So that's how God interacts with man, um, with the fact that his will prevails ultimately, but man still has a free will. Man still makes the, the choice themselves. And then we wanted to touch on uh, the, uh, another aspect of what influences our will, and that is the fact that our spirit um, can influence our will, and our flesh can and also does influence our will. And so these two aspects of man um, are brought to bear to influence uh, man so that he behaves in a certain manner, and he, or, he, or he doesn't behave in a certain manner. Let's just have a look at the scripture and then we'll comment on it, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And the Apostle Paul writing, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And so what happens when we come into the kingdom of God is our spirits are born again. But our spirits are born again in babe form, in a baby form. Uh, they're not, we're not born again as mature believers, not at all. And here Paul is he's contrasting two types of believer. He's contrasting the spiritual believer, who's a mature believer, with a baby believer, which is the carnal believer. He says here, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people, mature believers, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. So he classifies a baby Christian as being carnal. Now the carnal person is in fact um, what an unbeliever is. An unbeliever is carnal. They in their thinking. And they, they are completely fleshly. They, they, they only look to gratify the desires of the flesh and their carnal mind. That's what they want to do. And that's why they get caught up in uh, envy and strife and divisions and all the thing, things like And he says, in behaving just like men, because that's how men behave. Men do not have the option of walking in the spirit because their spirits are spiritually dead. So the spirit doesn't lead them in, in any direction except in the same direction as their flesh. Born-again believers, things change. Our spirits are now born again. Our spirits now want to go in one direction. Our flesh still wants to go in the other direction. 
So when we come into the kingdom, we come into the kingdom as babes in Christ. And as babes in Christ, um, our spirits are not very strong at that time. And so although our spirit wants to do things as God wants them to be done and not as the flesh, because the spirit is still weak, it's, it's a new creation, but it's still a baby, it's still weak, it is not able to exert great influence on our wills. Um, because don't forget, we're dealing now with influencing of the will of man and what influences the will of man. We saw that God influences our will and we're looking at the fact that our spirits can also influence our will, but our flesh also influences our will. And so when we get born again, our spirits are born again as babies. And so they're not strong enough to uh, exert strong influence on our, the decisions of our will. Our flesh, on the other hand, is still as strong as it ever was. It doesn't change in its strength from the time before we're born again till the time we're after we're born again. It remains sinful on both sides of the, of, of the, of the timeline. So the, the flesh is just as strong as it always was, and the carnal mind thinking is just as strong as it always was. And so baby Christians do not easily follow after the leading of the Spirit because their spirits are still spiritually weak. Now, as they spend time in the Word of God and in prayer and doing the Word of God, what happens is, is that they start to grow strong in spirit, and their spirits become stronger. Now, as their spirits become stronger, what happens is that the spirit is able to exert a greater influence, degree of influence, over the will of that individual. And so that is when it becomes a, that much easier for the Christian to follow after the leading of the spirit and walk in the spirit, because this, the spirit has become stronger and is able to dominate more in influencing the decision of the will of a man. The flesh is still as strong, but the flesh gets put under and so that we, we are able to control the flesh as we become stronger in our spirits and so it's very important and it's vitally important for all Christians to grow strong spiritually and that's where a lot of Christians miss it is that they never grow strong spiritually they stay babes in Christ all the Christian walk they get born again but they never get out of that initial stage of being a baby Christian and 30 years later, and even when they go home to be with the Lord, they're still baby Christians. They always have problems with envy and strife and divisions and all sorts of things because they just never grasp the truth about the fact that they need to nourish their spirits and allow their spirits to grow stronger. Because, as I say, as they do, then the spirit begins to ex uh, have a, exert a greater influence over the decision of the, the individual believer. So the will is now you know, going to lean more to doing that rather than to doing the things of the flesh. Let's have a look at um, another passage of Scripture, which is, again, just uh, it highlights this truth for us about the fact that the flesh wants to do one thing and the spirit wants to do something else. And it's the will of man that is the deciding factor, and the will of man is being influenced by both camps, so to speak. But the will of man on its own is not powerful enough to overcome the will of the flesh. Because we did read it in a previous uh, teaching uh, that in the in, in, um, Gospel of John, that there is such a thing as the will of the flesh. Because the flesh 
which is made up of our physical bodies and our carnal mind, continues to want to walk in sin. It doesn't want to walk in righteousness. And it has no interest in righteousness. It is hardwired for sin. And that's all it wants to do. The will of man on its own is not strong enough to overcome the will of the flesh. The, the will of the flesh will always prevail over the will of man. Um, because the sin in the flesh is just far stronger than the will of man. Which, because if that, if that was not the case, we wouldn't have needed Jesus, because we could have just overcome sin in the flesh on our own, just as an act of our own willpower. We would have exerted uh, our will over the flesh, and we wouldn't have sinned anymore. But that's not the case. We cannot, sin is more powerful than the will of man. And so mankind on his own is not able to overcome sin in the flesh. He needs a Savior, and Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And Jesus Christ is the one who has overcome sin in the flesh. Because remember, he lived in the same kind of bodies that we live in, and he never once committed any sin. He was subjected to the same temptations that we are, but he never gave in to any of those temptations. And so the Bible teaches us that he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, the way that he did that is that he lived a life on the earth, never once committing any sin. And so he has overcome sin in the flesh. And so he enables us, as born-again believers, to do the same. He empowers us to do the same. And so that is why it is possible, as born-again believers, to keep the flesh under and for our will to then follow after the leading of the Spirit and to walk in the things of the Spirit. So let's just have a look at the Scripture that highlights this particular truth to us, which is in Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 14. Um, Paul writing, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So just to give you the, the background here, Paul is picking up the problem. He's a, a born-again believer, and he wants to do the right thing now, because his spirit is alive unto God, and now he wants to do the right thing. And so, as an act of his will, he wants to do the right thing. But he's finding out that as a baby believer, it's not as, as a mature believer, he's finding out that there's something else at work because he's not getting it right. He, uh, he, he wants to do the right thing, but he's finding himself doing the wrong thing. He loses his temper. He gets envious. He's still doing the stuff that he used to do before he got saved. So he goes to the Lord. He's trying to get to understand this, and this is what the Lord reveals to him which is very enlightening for us. So he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Talking about himself being a carnal baby believer. Remember when he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, you guys are still carnal. You're still babes in Christ. So that's what he's talking about. He says, but I'm carnal. Sold under sin. Now look at this. For what I am doing, I, don't, I do not understand. For what I will to do. So this is his will. He, as an act of his will, he wants to do the right stuff. What I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. So he's now saying, yeah, as an act of my will, I want to go this direction, but I'm actually finding myself going in that direction. Um, verse 16, he says, if then I do what I, sorry, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. And so in his spirit, he's wanting to do the right stuff. He's agreeing with the word of God that it's the right thing to do. And it's good. Verse 17. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So he's recognizing that he actually does have sin inside him, even though he's born again. 
verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, he says. So he's identified where the sin is. The sin is in his flesh and in his carnal mind. He's realized that. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. So this is as an act of his will. He wants to do the right stuff. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. His spirit has been born again, don't forget. But I see another law in my members, talking about his physical body, warring against the law of my mind, talking about his trying to get his mind renewed now, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And so Paul recognized the dichotomy that the, the Christian has, baby Christians have, in that this, their spirit is not yet strong enough to exert great influence on their decision making. But the flesh is still very strong. So even as a, a, a strong-willed person, he still found himself doing things that were sinful. Even though he realized that it was not the right thing to do, he wanted to do the right stuff. And so he realized that inside these physical bodies, sin dwells. And sin is more powerful than the will of man. And so that is why man needs a savior, because on their own they cannot overcome sin in the flesh. And if you go into Romans chapter 8, you can see uh, Jesus Christ has condemned sin in the flesh for us. And so that is why and how we are able to overcome. That's why he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He can now overcome sin in the flesh because God empowers us through his spirit in our spirits to be able to keep the body under and thus allow our will as an act of our free will, our choice, to walk in the Spirit. But those are the two um, aspects of man that influence the will of man. Now, again, as, if, you, if we remain baby believers, then we're always going to have problems with sin in the flesh because we will never have a, a spirit strong enough to exert influence over the decisions that we make. And we will always gravitate to making decisions that are fleshly in nature and obviously are then sinful in nature. And so as we allow our spirits to grow stronger, so they begin to exert a greater influence over our decision making, and we can then walk uh, in the flesh that much more easily. Um, now there is one other aspect to this aspect of um, our decisions that we make, and that's in this scripture here, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. The scripture says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so, remember we saw in Galatians 5 that we get to make the decision as to whether we're going to walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh. Now, the way that we do that, 
walk in the Spirit, is we set our minds, the Scripture says, on the things of the Spirit. If we set our mind on the things of the Spirit, we will walk in the things of the Spirit. If we set our mind on the things of the flesh, we will walk in the things of the flesh. So it's as an act of our will that we decide what we're going to think about, what we're going to set our minds on. And so that's where the will kicks in again, because there is that added step that our minds have to be renewed. Until our minds are renewed, we will always be carnally minded in our thinking. And the carnal mind, the scripture says, is enmity against God. Not going to be, uh, follow after the Lord of God. It will always rebel against the law of God. So the natural incl inclination for baby believers is to, in fact, rebel against God. And that is why God says, grow strong in spirit and renew your minds. As we do that, um, our spirits begin to exercise a greater influence on the decisions that we make. Our minds, because we're now setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, we will then begin to walk in the things. Because what you, how we think determines how we behave. That's the bottom line, really. Um, and so it's very important for us to think as the Word of God uh, is, is spoken. And as, as we see it in the Bible, that's how we should think about ourselves, and that's how we then behave. Um, and so we need to focus on renewing our minds. But again, that is as an act of our will. We decide whether we're going to give ourselves time to grow strong in spirit by spending time in the Word of God and in prayer. And we decide whether we're going to give ourselves uh, over to renewing our minds, to think as God thinks. Um, because the Bible teaches us we have the mind of Christ. And so we should think as, as God thinks. But that takes time because we are to renew our mind. It doesn't happen overnight. And as an act of our will, we then head in that direction. Once we do, our spirits and our now renewed mind, our spiritual thinking, influences, has a stronger influence on the decisions we make. And so we find ourselves, as an act of our free wills, making more and more decisions that are in line with the Word of God. Because now we are being subject, we are subjecting ourselves willingly to the will of God. But as long as we remain carnal, as long as we remain baby Christians, then our flesh will always dominate our thinking. Our carnal mind, our carnal mind will always dominate our thinking, and we will always gravitate to doing things that are against the Word of God. And that's how those two things pan out. So we've seen in this teaching that God influences our will, even though we have a free will, God knows how to what motivates us and so he knows how to influence our will along those lines god leads us uh, by the leading of, of his spirit within our spirit and he asks us to follow after his leading through our spirits and that's how he influences the born again believer to walk in his will but we've also seen that uh, two other aspects influence our will and that is our uh, born again spirit and our flesh and it's up to us to allow the spirit to had the greater influence in our lives and to keep the flesh under and not listen to it. And that, once we uh, give ourselves to rather looking at the things of the Spirit, as an act of our will, we'll walk in that direction. And uh, we will then accomplish the will of God for our lives. And we're going to end the teaching on that particular point today. Amen.